You're listening to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We are a community of recovering people who have overcome the odds and found the courage to change. Each week, we share stories of recovery from substance abuse, eating disorders, grief and loss, childhood trauma, and other life-changing experiences. Come join us no matter where you are on your recovery journey. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage Change Recovery Podcast. My name is Ashley Loblossingame, and I am your host. And today I am here with our producer extraordinaire, Scott Drockelman. Hello, hello. You can't see me, but I'm raising my eyebrows in a in a manner that says, Ooh, we got a good one. It says Ooh. this is this is timely. We've been we've been holding this one for this time of year because I think it makes sense for this particular setting going into the next couple weeks. So Q&A. Q&A. Uh, okay. So this one is from Kay. It says, my daughter is newly sober and this will be her first Christmas coming back home since getting help. How do I make things okay for her? I don't know how I'm supposed to be when she comes back. Do I get rid of all the booze? What do I need to do? So Kay has a daughter who's coming back newly sober. Christmas is Probably a pretty triggering time of year, I would have to imagine, for a lot of folks. How can Kay make the situation best for her daughter? What do we got for her, Ashley? So the good news is that we can stay sober through holidays and triggering events, triggering people, triggering times of year. We can stay sober through a lot. The first year back is definitely more challenging because you're doing all the same things for the first time without alcohol in a very long time or drugs. And I think it's wonderful that as a parent, you even care enough to ask that question of what you can do to be supportive because a lot of people have families that simply are either too angry or uninterested in changing anything about what they're doing in order to help their loved ones. So I commend you and thank you for your support for your loved one, because it means a lot. And I know that my family supporting me and asking how they can support me has greatly helped me to stay sober long-term. There are different things that I recommend based on how long someone has been sober. The first year I'll say this, I'll, I'll, I'll give a little context and then I'll, I'll give like a, a how-to, so to speak. A little context would be that when I go home, I do not personally ask my family members to not drink. But every year until, you know, maybe I was eight to 10 years sober, they would ask me if I'm comfortable with them drinking. And my answer was always yes. Even when I told them I'm comfortable, they asked me every time that, listen, if does this make you uncomfortable? Is it okay? So on and so forth. They did it in a way that it wasn't constant. When people do that constantly, like they ask if, can I get another or constantly, that's annoying. But they did it in a way that was like, I just want to make sure that it's the same this year, right? I know you said yes last year, but I want to just make sure you're in the same place this year as you were last year. And that that felt supportive. At this stage in the game, I personally don't even notice other people drinking or not drinking because I have learn to live in a world where what other people are consuming or not consuming is none of my business and I don't pay attention to that. There is a world, there is a life in which that no longer matters. And that's a beautiful thing. I think it's good to know that 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 can that's available to people who are in recovery. You won't forever be watching everybody drink and feeling left out and you know those thoughts go away. In the first year 
or couple years of sobriety. If you are coming home to a triggering location, time of year, or any of those things, I would not have asked my family to put the alcohol away. However, if I had a child who was coming home the first year for the holidays, which I believe to be a triggering time for many people, I would put the alcohol away. Not that we wouldn't drink it or that people wouldn't drink it or wouldn't be available to them, but I would not have it laying out. I would not make it easy to have feelings and then just turn and grab alcohol. And I would do it the way I do it in my own home. My husband and I are both sober. We do not keep alcohol in the house. When people come to town who drink, they can keep alcohol in our house while they're in town, while they're there. That's totally fine. But we don't keep alcohol in the house in case someone comes into town who wants to drink. So it's intentional. It stays for the period of time that the person is there. And the reason isn't that I'm afraid I'm going to drink all the time, but I don't want it to be easy to drink if for some reason I was having a really horrible day and then I was searching through the cabinets and, oh my gosh, I found a bottle of wine and I'm by myself. I don't want to make it easy. And so what I would try to do if my child were coming home newly sober is I would remove the alcohol to you know, a place that was either closed or, you know, in a cupboard, you know, in a, in a box somewhere or take it all out of the house so that it wasn't just laying around in case they were having a feeling. But with their permission, I would include alcohol at the dinner or at the, at the other events. Something that I kind of keyed into that you mentioned, and I think I have an idea of what you're talking about, but like, can you speak to sort of what makes Christmas or holidays like that particularly triggering? Like what is, what are the factors that lead to that? The great thing about family and holidays and times of year and seasons is that they evoke different feelings. For some people, those feelings are great. And for some people, they're terrible. It just depends, right? People, you know, when you're, when you're a person who's living in a body that is bigger than it's supposed to be, as it starts to get hot outside, you start to get dread because you're like, I, I can't hide in baggy clothes or I can't, you know, so, but for other people, summer is the best. They get to finally wear the bathing suit and finally wear their shorts and, you know, so two, Two people can have two completely different experiences of the same thing. With the holidays, we all have feelings about our families. Maybe they live far away and that makes you sad. Maybe you don't politically agree, but you have to bite your tongue while you're with them. Maybe you don't like the way they spend their money, or maybe it, they remind you of what it was like growing up in their house as a kid. Who knows? It's always something. And even with the best of relationships, I consider my relationship with my family to be extremely close. I still find it triggering in small ways all the time over the holidays because it's bringing up feelings and feelings are a normal part of the holidays, both good and bad. And I think we have more of them. They bring up feelings from the past, whatever they are. Triggers are things that cause us to have feelings that we struggle to deal with. That might be a happy feeling. That might be a sad feeling, but it's a feeling that we struggle to deal with. And the holidays, particularly, you know, around the end of the year, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's, 
all of these holidays feel as an alcoholic, very full of the necessity for coping skills. If you go into the holidays without really strong coping skills, you are not going to be able to assemble your coping skills as the triggers are happening. And people make that mistake all the time. They figure, I'll plan the AA meeting or what the phone call or whatever if I need it when I get there. And those are the types of mistakes that are made. There has to be a plan going into the holiday. Now, the plan can change, right? But an exercise plan, a self-care plan, a phone call, outreach plan to talk to other sober people, a plan of what you're going to do if you need to leave early. You need to be able to leave early and take care of yourself. Those are the types of things that can make or break a holiday season or even someone's sobriety. I feel like a lot of times what happens around holidays too is like there's weirdness because we just want to have a nice time. Right. Like everybody just wants it to be like peaceful. And they yeah. saw a movie somewhere about how Christmas is supposed to be with the family. And, uh, and so I think that that's subconsciously or very consciously, that is what people are trying to create. Are there specific things that you can think of in relation to K that are helpful in regard to not having pressure or expectations? Uh, you know, maybe it's about what's realistic. So if you had a family member who had some sort of special needs or a family member who had a child who had special needs and they were coming to visit you and stay with you, the likelihood is that you would ask them, what kinds of things do you need in order to be able to get around the house, in order to be able to take a shower? Because you, it's something that maybe you didn't understand or you hadn't lived with, you would preemptively ask how you can support them in this new environment. That same idea, what can I do to make this easier. So so I would come up with a checklist if it were my child coming home. I would come up with a checklist and I, you know, would say I just want to ask you a couple questions about our upcoming holidays. I really want to support you in having a sober amazing first Christmas. You can say something like I I've never done this before. I've never been the parent of someone who stopped drinking, so I want to ask questions because I don't want to assume I know the answer. That's why I'm asking. Do you mind if there's alcohol in the house? Do you mind if we drink at meals? Is there any way that I can support you in finding support group meetings up here? Will you be needing a vehicle to attend any of the support group meetings? Do you want me to set aside time to spend with you one-on-one -on -one to decompress you know, every day so that you have a safe space for yourself. What are you going to be doing in order to maintain your sobriety? What can I do if I notice that you seem distressed or uncomfortable? How can I ask you if you are okay? If I think that you are struggling or if I think that you are using, what are some signs to look for? What can I say to you if I think that you've relapsed? These types of questions are really great. And if you go to the, in the relapse prevention, Terrence Gorski goes through every person in recovery makes this list. And it, they what they do is they tell their loved one, here's what it looks like if I'm using. Here's what I'd like you to say. Here's what I commit to doing. Here's what the action plan is. And so that way, everybody has pre-agreed 
to the conversation of how to ask, hey, you seem a little off. And then you don't get into the fight of, oh, you think I'm off because I'm, you think I'm using, you always think I'm using, you always accuse me, blah, 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 blah. And instead of that conversation, you've already had the conversation where they say, well, if you see me taking more than 10 minutes in the bathroom, ask me, you know, that probably means. And then you can say to your loved one, I see that you've been taking more than 10 minutes in the bathroom. And that was something that you mentioned was a warning sign. Is there any way that I can support you right now? So this language of how can I support you? What would you like me to say when I feel nervous about this? How can we talk about this without it triggering you? Is it okay if this, this, this? All of those things, when you do that before you get into the high stress, high risk situation, everybody has their script and it makes it so much easier if there's a trigger or or I should say when there's a trigger. You also are encouraging your loved one to think about those things. They maybe aren't thinking about whether or not they're going to go to meetings or whether or not they're going to make time for themselves. And because you're asking them about it now, you're without telling them, you need to make a plan to go to your meetings and da, 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 da. Instead, you're saying, are you going to be needing a ride? Can I support you in doing this? Would you like me to come with you? You're supporting them in a really amazing way without starting some of those tried and true fights about like, you just think I'm a loser and I'm the black sheep and blah, 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 blah. And you're always watching me and these types of things. Get those conversations out of the way before the holidays. I have to imagine a part of the puzzle is just like the feeling of feeling kind of like alone. I'm taking from context clues here that this person's traveling from somewhere. So it's it's probable that they have their community set up where they are and they have their support mechanisms set up where they are. are. Are there ways that people can sort of feel less alone when they're not in on sort of their home base or the place that they're feeling secure? Unfortunately, I have no magic solution. It's really, it really is the stuff that you would think of, right? It's planning meetings ahead of time. Um, You could ask your community if they know anyone in that area that you're going that you could go to a meeting with. That's not uncommon. Oftentimes there are these things called marathon meetings during the holidays where there's a meeting every hour on the hour, even through two, three in the morning kind of deal, because people tend to struggle around the holidays. And so there's someone at any time, day or night that you can reach out to. I would say that the virtual meetings, if you don't want to do that, are a great way to plug in. Plan calls with people, plan to talk to people or text with people every day, maybe do a check-in, a very specific check-in every day. Those types of things are ways to feel connected. The reality is that I have felt alone in a room full of people and I have felt connected in a room by myself. The amount of people in your proximity isn't always a measure of how lonely or not you feel. Thinking through all the different things that work for you in this new life. You know, we used drugs and alcohol to be able to manage and stay in situations that no longer worked for us. One of the things that you find out when you stop drinking is how much tolerance you have without drugs and alcohol for certain scenarios. And sadly, you will find that some of those scenarios, which you used to be able to withstand, which pleased everyone, you no longer can stand for more than two hours. That person, you can't do it. You can't do it for more than two hours without saying something awful. And that's 
actually okay. Because yes, the drugs and the alcohol helped you to make it 24 hours without saying something awful to that person, but they also ruined your life. And so if you're choosing between two hours with this person and then having to cut it off and set a boundary and go somewhere else, which makes other people uncomfortable or drinking, you you choose the boundary. And these are where the discomforts come in because so often we are using the drugs and the alcohol to withstand situations that are toxic for us. Is there one last little like thing that we can give Kay? Is there any like last thing she can hold in her mind or little mantra or something that she can just hold on to as, as you know, I'm certain there will be some bumps. As a parent, having been the kid who came home for their first sober Christmas and having had many sober Christmases since then, what you can do is tell the truth and talk about how you're feeling. Talk about how much you love them, how much you support them. Ask them if there's anything that they need to feel supported. Remember that what you think is supportive may not feel supportive to them. So it's really important to ask them how they want to be supported. Because oftentimes our best intentions, we think we're being supportive, but that's the thing that pisses them off. And there's that breakdown of communication, which can be really confusing because as a parent, you're just trying to love your kid and do the best you can for them. But the message is really whatever the receiver is getting. The mess, it doesn't matter what your intention is. So instead of playing the guessing game, which has not served many people well in the history of humanity, ask them how you can support them. You will be amazed at how well people respond to that and how insightful some of the responses can be. It will save you a lot of time, anger, heartbreak, by just asking each other what they need. Well, Kay, I hope this was helpful. And I hope that the holiday is great for you. And uh, for anybody listening, I hope that whatever holiday you happen to celebrate, we hope it's great. And you know, if you've got loved ones in town, or you're the loved one in town, who's trying to sort this stuff out, I hope that uh, you feel empowered to hold the boundaries you need to hold, even if they feel uncomfortable, or even if it disrupts the peace that everybody is hoping for. So yeah, uh, Ashley, if you wanted to have a question on the show, like the Q&A episode that we just did, how would a person get a question on a Q&A episode? Well, you'd hop into your email, whatever email you use, and you would type into the to section podcast at lionrock.life, and you would send us an email asking your question. We will answer it on air and we will keep your name anonymous. Ashley, anything uh, that we should leave Kay with in closing as the holidays approacheth? I think for everybody as the holidays approach, remember that the point of the holidays and these gatherings is to be connected to the people, not the food, not the alcohol, not the tradition, but to be connected to the people that you love and care about. And we can so often get lost in the food, in the schedule, in the alcohol, in the traditions, and forget about the importance of being connected to the people. Something I do is ask myself, what am I connected to right now? Am I connected to the food? Am I connected to the people? Am I connected to the tradition? And that helps me to recalibrate when I start to get too caught up in something that really doesn't matter as much as the time with my family does. 
All right, we'll see you next time. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a diverse and supportive recovery community offering weekly over 70 online peer support meetings, useful recovery information, and entertaining content. Whether you're newly sober, have many years in recovery, or you're recovering from something other than drugs and alcohol, we have space for you. Visit www.lionrock.life today and enter promo code COURAGE for one month of unlimited peer support meetings free. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.